<laughs> my family thought it was nuts because I would go and I would turn off all the lights and I would like candles and lanterns. Generally speaking, it's the single best thing we can do for just just feeling better physically. What is up, everybody? And welcome back to the Schooling Struggle Podcast. And it's our belief that the only guarantee in life is that we are all going to struggle. And how we choose to embrace our struggles is what empowers us to become the best versions of ourselves. My name is Pete, coming to you from Vermont. And with me is my co-host and friend, Todd, coming to you from Washington State. What's up, Todd? Hey, Peter. How's it going? Oh, man. I am overwhelmed right now. I'm trying to get my life from, uh, as I've said in the past, from overwhelmed just to whelmed. And I'm whelmed with uh, a bunch of stuff that I've purposely taken on, some really cool passion projects, aside from the podcast here that I'm really excited about. But I'm just a little overwhelmed by how I'm going to choose to navigate it all and where's the best use my time and energy. And I think when I take on a bunch of really cool things and uh, I'm not feeling efficient in certain places, it makes me feel like I'm not efficient in, in any of them or effective. I think this is a better measure of that. Yeah. So to be straight with you, um, a little overwhelmed, but I'm navigating that as best I can. And actually these conversations uh, are a great, great place for me to just kind of take a deep breath, chill, be present, be intentional and enjoy the conversation. So um, this has a more of a profound positive impact on me than you know. So thank you for uh, for setting this up. <laughs> Look at you leading with the gratitude. Yeah. Yeah, I feel How about uh, you? How about yeah, you? In many ways I feel um I don't know about many ways, but uh, on that topic, yes, I feel I feel a little bit of that myself for um I I always kind of operate in that arena, but um I do all right. I um I drove for 10 hours the last two days. Um, Spokane and back, went for a run there, um, was humbled by running in a pack where I thought I would run a little bit faster, but there was 20,000 people around me, so I didn't get to run as fast as I wanted. Um, yeah, but I had a good time. It was fun. So yeah, I'll go back next year and crush it. Sorry about that. I should have told you to start in the front. I'll yeah, tell you yeah. that next time. I was in this. Well, it, it, if it was <laughs> the Kenyans and then me, I don't know how well that would have went because I would have ran <laughs> to chase them like, like the greyhound and the rabbit. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It was a good time. It's funny that we're both kind of in this season of uh, feeling a little bit overwhelmed or um, kind of have a lot going on in our life right now because the topic that I chose a while back for tonight's conversation is that of sleep. And I think this has a direct correlation or direct relation to kind of what we have going on in our lives. So we didn't actually set this up to be, be logged on and feeling overwhelmed at the same time, uh, but it is a kind of a cool segue into tonight's topic. I'm in the thick of the sleep unit with my students right now. So throughout the course of the semester, we focus on what I call the five pillars of health, which are exercise, nutrition, mindset, connections, and sleep. And um, at the end of every semester, I interview each student for 10 minutes and talk to them about how their semester went and things that were positively impactful for them over the course of the semester. And I think the thing that students seem to report that they got the most from from the class or that the, the, the most effective takeaway they had at the end of the semester was the information they learned about sleep. So I'm going to see if we can pack an entire four weeks worth of sleep conversations into the podcast tonight. Why not? Yeah. So yeah, teach because I, I suck at sleep. That, uh, <laughs> moderation is for cowards. So we're just going to go all in right yeah. now on this. All right. Yeah. Um, I'll preface this with two things. One is that uh, I am not a master sleeper. And uh, I'm struggling to get high quality, effective, restorative sleep on a regular basis. And the second is before we go into the conversation, I would just like to acknowledge the fact that every 
person has a different environment in their life. Every person has a different set of circumstances in their life. And some of the things that we talk about tonight are things that I'm aware that some people just won't be able to access or might not be possible. Uh, anyone that's had a newborn in their house can attest to the fact that it is difficult to get a high, high quality good night of sleep when there's a newborn in the house. It's near impossible. <laughs> and there are many other circumstances that are present in people's lives at night or when it is that they're trying to sleep. So I just wanted to acknowledge that I don't think that this is a, a perfect panacea for a sleeping setup for any human being that's going to listen to this, but just to acknowledge that generally speaking, there are some things that might be within our control that we can put into practice to try to get better sleep. I like it. It's a good topic. All right. You good? Yeah. Where are we going? You're writing feverishly. I love oh, that. I was coloring, actually. There, there's all disease. <laughs> I made all disease because I was thinking about disease. So so we can get super, super into the weeds and sciency on this, but yep. I'm going to try to avoid doing that. Uh, I've learned quite a bit over the last bunch of years as I've been fascinated by this topic and, and sharing it with my students. But I'm going to try to keep it in, all in layman's terms as best I can. We'll kind of go from there. Okay. So I first became fascinated by sleep when I started to dive into like what yields a high level of human performance. And I came to learn that many of the top fitness coaches in the world won't even work with an athlete if the athlete is not willing to prioritize or commit to eight to 10 hours of sleep a night. And that kind of spoke volumes to me. I was like, whoa, like the best people, the best coaches in the fitness world are like, are really prioritizing sleep in a way that I didn't realize. So then I started to look into, well, why? And basically the way I explain it to high schoolers is your cell phone can only work for so long until you have to plug it in. It doesn't matter what screensaver mode you use, how how much you bring down the brightness on your screen, uh, energy saving mode, all that. Eventually, you're going to need to plug your phone in. That's the only way that your phone is going to continue to operate. And then if you get a full charge, it's optimizing. Well, the human body works the same way. Our sleep is the plugging in of the cell phone. And it doesn't matter how much caffeine we drink or these different other products or tactics that we can use to try to um, avoid getting sleep and still perform at a high level. Eventually, we're going to need to lean on a good night of sleep. Basically, sleep services all aspects of our body in one way or another, whether that's molecular with our balance of energy, uh, intentional function, alertness, mood, all these different types of things are really impacted by sleep and loss of sleep really impairs your your ability to reason, to problem solve, all these like mental functions that we, that we do with our body. And it's important to note that sleep affects pretty much every like tissue in our body. It affects the growth of different like hormones and the immune system and our appetite and our breathing and our blood pressure and our cardiovascular health and all these things. So getting a good night of sleep is super important. And I actually pulled up a Google list for the top reasons why getting a good night of sleep is beneficial. So very quickly, I'm just going to kind of run through it, but sleep boosts your immune system. So people who get a high quality sleep get sick less often. Um, Getting sleep can help prevent weight gain. Getting sleep can strengthen your heart. And we know that if you don't die of some sort of accident or cancer, the majority of people die from some heart-related loss of function. So the sleep and the heart are very closely related. And the more I'm learning about sleep, the more I'm realizing how profound it is for heart health. Um, we don't need a scientist to tell us that better sleep equals a better mood. And when your mood is better, you function better in your relationships and your relationships become less conflicted or less competitive. Sleeping increases productivity of the mind and of the body. So if we want to optimize or crush our day, um, that's really important. 
Um, lack of sleep can be dangerous, obviously, driving cars, those types of things when you're when you're at a sleep deprivated state. Sleep can increase exercise performance, which is kind of where the road that I went down when I first started, started learning about it. And sleep improves your memory. The, th- the thing that I think is the most important that I share with my students because it's most relevant to them in their lives as of now, but if you just don't feel great, you don't feel like you're energized, you don't feel like you're functioning, um, a lot of that can be attributed to lack of sleep. There's many other factors, obviously, nutrition, stress, all those types of things. But I think just generally speaking, it's the single best thing we can do for just just feeling better physically. Staying um, committed to sleep and hydrated are kind of the two go-tos. If someone says to me, there's there's kind of down in energy and they're down in their mood. The first two questions I'll ask is, well, how's your sleep and how's your hydration? And we can talk about hydration on another episode, but those are kind of the main reasons why sleep is so important because it has really profound short-term effects like the next day. But over time, it also has incredibly powerful um, implications for our health and our, our functionality as we go. I feel like this is this could be an episode where I do a ton of talking and I don't love that. So I encourage and ask you to chime in uh, whenever and however you want. Understood. <laughs> The science of this is really fascinating, uh, the different ways that they do sleep studies. And they found out back in the day, and I don't even want to try and quote the date or even the decade or maybe even the century of when this went down. But when they started doing sleep deprivation studies, they found, they found that they really messed some people up. And it was a, a really moral, ethical question of should we be depriving people of sleep for the for the sake of certain studies? And it was kind of decided that uh, crazy sleep deprivation studies where they're depriving people of sleep for days is is a really, really unethical, unhealthy thing to do. So they, from, from what I've learned is there aren't a whole lot of sleep deprivation studies done anymore. It's more of um, like high quality sleep. I wish I could get more high quality sleep. So I'm, oh, me too. I'm the I'm the astute too. pupil because <laughs> yeah. like I'm waiting for my doctor to finally give me a referral for a sleep study, which was supposed to be two weeks ago. So now I have to check back on that. Mm. But um, yeah, like my numbers, I, I'm fortunate enough to track my sleep with um, this rich this wrist device I have, and it's just it's all over the place. And like, if I get like a 70, like out of a hundred, I'm elated. And then the next day I'm like, Oh, I'm going to keep this up. And then it'll be like 17. And I'm like, come on. Like, and, and I try to be ritualistic and I try to like do the things that I've heard and I've, I've re- read about, but it's, I think it's a, I think it's a lock with many keys. I don't know. I don't know how that one. Yeah. It's interesting. So, so for the listeners out there, Todd, has learned that I'm kind of a, a sleep geek. Not that I get a ton of it, but that I'm learning about it. And he'll send me screenshots of his wrist device that says that he got a 17 out of 100 or a 70 out of 100. My question for you is, what does that mean? Is, does 100 mean like what is the, like the, the most optimal sleep you could have gotten that night? And the number is a, f- a fraction of that? Is that what it is? Well, I don't. there's many algorithms that occur on this device, but um, from my understanding, reading all of this, all of the, all of the product technical, you know, manual, it's um, it bases it on multiple things, and and multiple things play into it. So I think it's you know, like for example, um, I run a lot and I run too much, right? And so they're like, hey, your high aerobic threshold is off the chart. You might want to slow down. And then they give you suggestions like go to more anaerobic, go to you know more um, you know, low, low level aerobic 
activities. And those, if you have a good balance of where those are, then yeah. your performance will be better. Potentially your sleep might, might result. Okay. But on the other yeah. side of that is if you're already working at a deficit, it realizes that. And it says, if you go running today, that's going to affect your sleep for the next six days. And so how long okay. is it going to take you to recharge? So things like that. And then yeah. obviously resting heart rate and all that stress and stuff. But yeah. So, so it takes it takes the metrics that it measures and mm -hmm. puts them together to give you so it takes into your resting heart rate, your yeah. activity levels, your yep. your stress. Yeah, okay. Yep. And, it, and then it, it converts it for you. I have the whoop strap and it pretty much does the same thing. It yeah. takes your your strain from the day before and um your your resting heart rate, all these different variables and puts them together. Yeah. And yeah, my my the numbers are different in mine, but it'll tell you like, oh, in order to get addict, you know, your your optimal sleep you need nine hours and thirty nine minutes tonight oh. or or, yeah, I don't or have that. in the morning you'll find out kind of of what percentage of that you hit and it, it also breaks down into the the four um it's like the four stages of sleep yeah. which we can talk about a little bit but um yeah so basically the way sleep works from what i've learned and again i'm, I'm going to try to keep this on the surface is that we go through what, what are called sleep cycles or the stages of sleep over the course of the night and i've seen a couple different variations of the way that this is listed but basically we go from awake to light sleep, and then we then we go from there to either REM or deep sleep or vice versa. And REM stands for rapid eye movement, and that is a stage of sleep where you're uh, dreaming, you're actively dreaming, and then your deep sleep is kind of when you're just absolutely out cold or dead, you know, dead to the wind. And we cycle through those. If we were to have a, you know a great night of eight hours of sleep, we'd cycle through all four of those. Um, approximately four to five times. So you're, you're not just like in this awake space and then you're in light for three hours and then you're in deep for two hours and then you're REM for two hours. You go from light to deep to REM to awake, back to light, back to REM, back to deep. And you kind of cycle through multiple times. And um, each of those stages provides a different type of restorative recovery um, for your body, both of your of your mind and your body. So what you're getting from recovery in light sleep uh, might be a little bit different from what you're getting in deep sleep, from what you're getting in REM. And we need to be in each of those stages over the course of the night to get our full amount of, of recovery to, so we can have the best restoration we have so we can be optimizing the next day of the mind and the body. Any questions about that, Todd? No, I understand that. But I think um, going back to kind of like what I was talking about with the algorithm and the device, it's so interesting to, for me to think that there are so many other hooks that you don't really think about that like I come, I come across all the time. Like, oh, don't eat X amount of food after X amount of time if you, you know, like two hours before you sleep or make sure, you know, you turn off all the lights or make sure, you know, you're like setting yourself up for that kind of for, for your body to understand they're getting ready to go to sleep. And I think yes. when I think about all the tactical things and you might have a, a different idea for this or how you want to plug it in, but I think that it's important to know that there are a certain amount of things. I remember you talking about you had a, um, actually I met somebody that has a, a night mask and I was asking them if they were hooked on it like you were. And they were like, you know, that's funny because if I go somewhere and I don't have it, I get a little freaked out. But it's like, <laughs> but your mind becomes like n normalized that, right? It's like, oh, I got the sleep mask, it must be time for bed. And so I think like as you were talking, I was thinking about all the different things. Like for me, I interrupt those sleep cycles because I always have to get up and pee at night. But if I could yeah. just put down the water four hours before I went to bed, I wouldn't have this problem. But for some right. reason, I don't do that, you know? And then it's, you know, if you, like, if you, if you drink alcohol, that's going to affect it. You know, there's so many habits that, and temperature and timing, like all those things are, are very, you can be very intentional about those to get a better night's sleep. And it's, it's hard, but. Yeah. I think the thing to remember is like sleep is actually a system that works in our body 
And it's not just this like separate thing. It's like, you know, all of our systems of our body work together, but this, this, the sleep system is very, very incredibly intricate in many, many ways and and impacts our body in in every area of our body, which is is really fascinating for me. Um, So those things that you just named, I'm going to bring the conversation now into 10 tips. Ah, good. I tell my students, these are 10 things that we can be aware of so that if we so choose to intentionally put them into action or at least try to put them into action, <laughs> if you don't have an infant in your house, um, they're, they're a really good place to start when thinking about better sleep. You go number there. one. Yeah, go. Okay. So I'm actually going to go <laughs> number one to number 10. So number one's the most important. Okay. So that, so that people decide to turn this thing yeah. off, at least they get the most important <laughs> stuff early. <laughs> nice. <laughs> So number one, it's important to treat sleep like you would any kind of medication that's going to keep your your body alive. So we want to prioritize sleep in the same way that we would a medicine that we rely on to live. So we want to prioritize those eight hours. And the statistics show as we get older, the demands of our sleep aren't as much. So a newborn needs 14 to 17 hours. A two to three-year-old needs 11 to 14 hours. My daughter, who's six right now, is in the 10 to 11-hour stage and so on and so forth. Once you get to be 18, it's eight to 10 hours is what the science is showing. And once you're over 25, it's seven to nine hours. And it stays that way pretty much for the rest of our life. So that's that's kind of the, the goal. So when I say treat sleep like medicine, wherever you are, whatever age you're in, you want to treat that amount of time and commit that amount of time to being in bed. So my wife and I have committed that my daughter is going to be in bed at 7.30 every night, and she usually sleeps till 6.30 the next day. So 11 hours for her is kind of right on the button right now. So treat sleep like you would medication that's going to keep you alive and, and really covet those eight hours that you're in bed. Now, what I've, what I've come to learn is that I don't sleep for those entire eight hours that I'm in bed, but I will commit to those eight hours in bed. I've actually learned through my whoop that I sleep an hour and a half less than the time that I'm usually in bed. So if I'm in bed for eight hours, it's six and a half for me. So if I can get in bed for, for nine, um, that kind of puts me in a decent shape. So treat sleep like it's medication. Number two, pre-bedtime routine is everything. I call it landing the plane, right? Going to bed at the same time and getting up at the same time, preferably with an eight-hour window in between those two times is the single best thing we can do. I get up at 4.30 during the week. I have zero interest in getting up at 4.30 on Saturday and Sunday. I sleep it until like 5.30 or 6 and maybe even later if I can. So um, you really want to prioritize going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time. And it shows that even if you get less sleep doing that, your body can count on those times and you get better, more effective and more efficient sleep. So the goal here is not just more sleep, but it's also more effective sleep, more time in that deep stage and that REM stage. And these tactics that we're going to talk about um, get us there as, as well. Going to bed at the same time, getting up at the same time with an eight-hour window in between the two. And in a perfect world, you do that 365 days a year. doesn't matter if you're on vacation. doesn't matter if you're working or not. You go to bed at the same time, get up at the same time. Number three, blue light. Blue light is light that is emitted from screens from devices, computers, phones, laptops, TVs. That blue light is different from the natural light that comes in through the window through the sun. And basically, from what I've learned about this, what I think is accurate, is that blue light is taken in by your eyes and your eyes tell your brain that you're not tired when in actuality your body can be exhausted and you're craving sleep, but your brain doesn't recognize it because the blue light has tricked it. Anyone who's done a all night video game binge or uh, a Netflix 19 episodes in a row and doesn't even feel the least bit tired and looks up at the clock and it's four in the morning, that's an example of the blue light telling your brain you're not tired. Caffeine for the eyes. (laughs) Hey, do you have uh, blue light glasses? 
Yeah, I have three, four sets. I've heard all different types of reviews on those. What is what? Why do you have them, and are they effective? I got them because I wanted to see if they would help my sleep. Because I stare at a computer all day long, and I figured I'm bombarding myself all day anyway, so I might as well protect myself. So um, backing up for a second, what what do the, what do the companies claim that the blue light glasses do? I think the claim is that it allows you to still do the things that you're doing without having that repercussion, like you just said. So okay, I all can right. I can still look at the screen, but I'm not going to get bombarded with these rays, and eventually okay. I will get tired. So put like a barrier in between yeah when you put them on they're kind of yellowish like you can you can definitely tell there's a tint and i think okay the idea is it blocks out that spectrum i mean Um, to ask you about that for a while because you mentioned it one time before and i I don't i haven't talked to anyone who's committed to them so i was just curious to know your your, your the second interesting part is i'm not consistent with it so like i try to like put them on at seven like i've gone i've done so i've done so many different things like (laughs) like my family thought it was nuts because i would go and i would turn off all the lights and I would like candles and lanterns. And I'm like, it's time yeah. to get ready for bed. And they're like, look, man, I can't see anything. And even now, like I'll go in the bathroom and I will brush my teeth in the dark. And my wife is like, I guess I'll just wait till you're done because I can't brush my teeth in the dark. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, well, so I don't, I, oh, all man. that to say, you still have to be consistent with the things you hope that are tools, but. No, no. You don't have a choice. You have to stay on the podcast. You can't log off like, like all the <laughs> listeners, but you'll be excited for number 10. So stay tuned. Okay, good. So what I like to tell my students and myself is that the more time you can put in between when you last look at a device or a screen and when you lay your head for bed, the better. Mm-hmm. So I'll say that again. The more time you can put in between when you last look at a screen and when you go to bed, uh, the better. I've heard all different statistics on this. I've heard 30 minutes. I've heard three hours. So I don't know exactly what the what the latest science is saying about that other than blue light definitely inhibits your sleep. And if you can lay low on screen time before bed, um, it seems to be that you can get more effective sleep. So the longer, the better is what I heard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Which brings me to the next point, which is uh, the darker the room, the more effective and efficient sleep you're going to get. Um, I am also committed to the old face mask. Instead of spending hundreds of dollars on room darkening shades and putting duct tape over the light on your smoke alarm and not having an alarm clock, uh, I love the $6 face mask from Amazon. It just goes over my eyes and makes it, sometimes my wife will read uh, herself to sleep or wake up in the middle of the night when she can't sleep. She, she reads to fall back asleep and she uses a headlamp. So my, my mask is just, it's just amazing. Just what a great partner. Everything. We'll Everything you. black for me all night. Oh, nice. it's so good. It's so good. I once heard that uh, any light in the room, whether it's recognized by your eyes or not, disrupts your sleep. Yeah. I've heard so that. there was a study done where they put a bunch of people. I don't know the exact how the study was run. I couldn't tell you exactly every variable of what they ran, but basically they did a study where they had a bunch of people come in and sleep and they took a, a blue light and put it against the back of their kneecap. So they couldn't see it with their eyes. Their eyes couldn't pick it up. It was under the blankets, shining against the back of their kneecap. And when they had a blue light up against their kneecap, they slept significantly worse or their sleep was significantly less effective than it was when there wasn't this tiny little light in the back of their kneecap. Did they tell them they were going to light up their knees? Again, I can't tell you every nuance. Huh, Maybe I should have prepped it a little bit more if I brought it up. No, I'll find out. But that hurt. I've heard it a number of times. Uh, and I just think that that's fascinating. So like I went out and blocked out everything. So not only do I have the face mask, but we have no lights in our room whatsoever. <laughs> Unless Jen's nuking your knees with blue light all night long. <laughs> like, oh, man, that's I why I haven't been getting good sleep <laughs> the last 12 years. You dirty uh, dog. That's funny. You mentioned about temperature. And yes, ideal sleeping temperature for humans is 60 to 67 degrees. So we uh, we keep our room really chilly and some, with some heavy blankets on top. If you are 
wealthy enough to purchase a, a mattress cover that regulates the temperature of your body while you're sleeping or regulates your sleeping environment, have at it. Um, it's not in my wheelhouse of um, affordability. Maybe sometime this podcast will blow up and we'll get sponsors and we can get a, a mattress cover that's going to yeah. keep us at 60 to 67 degrees. This episode brought to you by Cool Sleep. <laughs> Next one is food. So any food that you eat that makes you feel like crap after you eat a bunch of it, that's a good sign that you don't want to eat that before bed. Um, from what I've read, two to three hours before bed um, without any food will help your digestive system clear. From what I understand, the digestive system and the sleep system don't coincide super well together. Um, one impacts the other. And when your body is in a high digestive uh, function functioning space, uh, it really inhibits sleep. So if you need to eat before bed, from what I've read, light foods, such as light fruits and uh, and things like that can can be much better than like a heavy deep fried meal or McDonald's. Yeah. I've even heard avoid things that are that are white, any starches, anything like that before. Like that's never do that. Like that's most word. I mean, it's probably because it's dense, like nutrient dense. Yep. Yeah. So it sounds to me like uh, some stuff that isn't, what am I trying to say? Some nutritiously dense foods, like a couple almonds or uh, different types of nuts, or maybe some blueberries or raspberries, those, those types of things that won't really crush your entire digestive system. Yeah. The balance for me is I can't sleep if I'm hungry. So I'm often better sometimes having a snack before I go to sleep so that I can stay satiated throughout the night. Because if I wake up hungry, I have to go downstairs and that ends up being spoonfuls of peanut butter right to the dome. Interesting. Yeah. All right. Number seven is, so I'm going to keep this G-rated. This is a family podcast. So just keep that in mind. Interesting. Your bed is a spot that's only for sleeping. So it's not a workspace. You know, and anything that you do that is, especially on the computer, I'd compartmentalize and have a workspace that's not the place where your bed is or where you do your sleeping. That way, when you get in bed, your your brain and your body know this space, what I do here is I sleep. So I get into this space and I go to sleep. It's not a space that do a bunch of work on my computer and then try to fall asleep. Uh, when you compartmentalize that way, your, your body and your brain can pick up on those signals and it's easier to fall asleep in that regard. And if you've listened to a couple episodes back, I couldn't tell you which one. I talks about how I'm neurotic about compartmentalizing different areas of my life. And this one has been been super helpful, super helpful. Number eight, those who exercise during the day tend to sleep better on a regular basis. So I'm not talking about like, it's it's not a one-to-one. It's not because I exercise today, I'm going to get better sleep tonight. It's over time, over a week, month, years, people who exercise on a regular basis tend to sleep um, better. Now, Todd and I seem to be anomalies of that. We uh, We exercise... Too much, as Todd said, and that that doesn't always seem, but that could be part of my problem too. Well, actually, no part of my problem is I get up too early to exercise. Mm. If I if I slept through those workouts and slept an extra two hours every every night, um, I'd get much more sleep. Oh, interesting. That, timing is a big deal there for me. If I work out too late at night, I can't sleep. Yeah, the endorphins are rocking and yeah, rolling. Yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Like it has to be hours. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, that's totally individualized. I know people who just work out and they go right to sleep after. Oh, so yeah, I wish. Yeah, I'm not one of those. Nope. All right, this one I think is really kind of cool and super tactical for me because this definitely plays into my world. Number nine, if you wake up in the middle of the night, don't look at the clock. And I do that every time. I wake up in the middle of the night to pee once, twice, four times, and I always look at the clock. It's, oh, it's one I've only been sleeping for f- four hours, and now I'm not going to fall back asleep, and, and like my mind gets going. So just take your alarm clock and just turn it toward the wall so you can't see it when you're when you're getting up in the middle of the night but my mind gets racing about how much i've slept how much i 
need to sleep and how much time I have left between the time I woke up and when it's time for my alarm to go off, it just gets my mind racing and that's unneeded. And if for some reason, there's an addiction there that I have to look at the time when I wake up. And when I don't, I do so much better. Hmm. I have a projection clock and it projects right over my face. And every time I wake up, I'm like, oh, just what you just said. Like, <laughs> after like, this conversation, it's not going to well, project. I don't know face. because I'll unplug it and then my wife will be like, where's the clock? <laughs> I'll be like, oh, okay. First it's lanterns and candles and now it's taking the clock away I can already see <laughs> all right number 10 oh here it is the big reveal <clears throat> this is the big reveal <laughs> the 10th most important of the 10 actually no this is really important is uh, so the very the very second one <laughs> not the first one that i talked about but the very second one i talked about the pre-bedtime routine and this is kind of uh it stems from that and this is calming the mind and calming the body prior to getting in bed. So if you have a bunch of stuff going on and you're wired and you just jump in bed and you're like, you expect to just fall asleep, it's just not going to happen. And then it's like, well, why, how come I can't fall asleep? Why am I not falling asleep? Well, you just got an argument with someone or you just had a bunch of blue light being thrust into your eyeballs or you, your, your heart rate was going for whatever reason, you just watched an intense movie or something. So part of that pre-bedtime routine is really committing to calming the mind and calming the body. So if you're really crazy, you'll turn off all the lights, brush your teeth in the dark and light a bunch of candles around your house. I've heard people do that, which I think is ludicrous, but uh, that's, that's, that's one way to do it. Uh, but the goal really is to get your heart rate down and try to get your mind from spinning. And there's, you know, many different, depending on the individual, there's many different ways to do that. Some people meditate, some people take a, a hot bath or a hot shower. Uh, the studies show that back in the day, uh, the old the old warm milk was a very common thing to help people kind of settle down and fall asleep. Sounds like cultures moved away from that, but chamomile tea with no caffeine can also play in that role. The interesting part about alcohol is that alcohol makes you sleepy, but really inhibits the deep and REM stages of sleep. So you might fall asleep quicker, but from what I've read, uh, you'll you'll get a lot more in that light stage and get less in the, the REM and the deep. When you're, when you're drinking during the day or drinking before bed. So how can you de-stress your mind, de-stress your body, bring your heart rate down and, um, kind of calm yourself before you get in bed? That's, that's the big one. Yeah. There's some breathing techniques for that. Yeah. Can you talk about that real quick? How you use that? Yeah, I, I definitely can. Um, <laughs> on this wrist device I have, actually, I was, it, I was amazed that they had, uh, breathwork on there because breathwork's kind of a it's kind of taboo or what it used to be taboo kind of in western culture but now it's um, gaining popularity but um there's got to be effective if it gets you 17 out of 100 every night for your uh, sleep school yeah it's really it's really working for me <laughs> of course i don't always do it every night because then my watch vibrates every time you s switch focuses and then you know my wife's right next to me and she's like <laughs> i'm like okay thanks. so i'm working on that but uh basically the the, the best one that i found is uh, what they call box breathing um i think it's Yo yogic yogic <laughs> i don't know how to, whatever yoga uh whatever you call that um in its inception but i don't know that for a fact but basically it's um it's it's a timed measure of inhale um hold exhale hold and you just keep like so four seconds you know one two three four one two three four so, and so, you just so four se so long four second inhale mm -hmm. and hold then, it for four seconds correct and then exhale for four seconds indeed and then, and then hold, hold it, it for four seconds yep and yeah, then kind of like a box is that why they call it box breathing? They call it box breathing and then you just keep on keep on going until you fall asleep i mean it's sometimes it's like oh wow i don't remember falling asleep and i was like on number one so. do you count to four does your you kind of know the, the time now like do you have to count do you have to 
I always count just because my brain's always counting, but I think you would yeah. know. I'm, yeah, you know after a while, but it's yeah. just, I think it's being the, it's the intention of doing it, right? Huh. Yeah, that works out pretty well. So you've probably counted to four a lot of times in your life. Yeah, sometimes six, sometimes seven. Whoa. Yeah, yeah, there's upper yeah. realms, you know, you could go, but. Yeah, I, I know there's a million different uh, breathing techniques yeah. and meditative techniques that one can use with when it comes to breath work, but it seems like a good place to start is that box, box breathing. Yeah. And I if I wake up at I, night, yeah, go ahead. I say I've tried it. I haven't adopted it, so I'm not sitting here as a guru telling people how to box breathe. But it seems to me from a lot of stuff that I've read, the basic is that that's that's the best place to start. Yeah, yeah for me, like if I wake up at night and I'm not looking at the clock, <laughs> like if I just wake up and I have all these racing thoughts, I focus. Like that's the first thing. Like just, I just go to that, and and I'm pretty much I can turn it around pretty quick. But if I oh, that's cool. if I'm unable, my mind will just go. So yeah. a little bit of a different topic, but. Um, I've counted to 10 so many times lifting weights in sets of 10 <laughs> that I think it would be really cool for me to learn how to count to 10 in like 50 different languages. Huh. Like, oh, I'm going to do this set in Greek. Oh, I'm going to do this set in German. I'm going to do this set in Portuguese. Wow. Kind of cool. yeah. um, when I can't fall asleep, I'll literally, I'll try to count sheep. <laughs> and when I count sheep, my sheep are on snowboards and they, they grind the rail. So they slide down the rail. So I see, I have a sheep comes down, does this trick on the rail. And then the second sheep, yeah, sheep does this trick on the rail. Yeah. Something that probably not a lot of people know about me. I would say zero people, zero people would, would know that. That, that could, could be a good trivia question. Shared it with everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so what I've learned through my whoop experience. Uh, so I, I keep the whoop strap W H O O P not, uh, not telling anyone to rush out and get it. It's just been um, an enlightening experience for me because I wanted to learn about my my sleep and w what I'm getting and how recovered I am. Uh, it really came from the suffering a myriad of injuries, just nagging injuries over and over again and learning that I needed to do something else for my body to recover. And I thought sleep might be a big, big part of that. So I have some rules for myself. If I'm less than 35% recovered, I won't do a workout and these types of things. And um, I just am learning about the power of restorative sleep. So like I shared earlier in the episode, what I've learned is that uh, I get about an hour and a half, so 90 minutes less sleep um, than the amount of time that I'm in bed. Uh, I've also learned that when I drink water, <laughs> I have to pee more, isn't that? My whoop shop hasn't told me that. This is just this general stuff about sleep. It's just a fact. And my issue is, is not so much that I have to get up and pee, it's my ability to fall or my inability to fall back asleep yep. after I pee. And then I've also learned about different sleep supplements that are on the market. Uh, seems the, the ones that seem to have the most credibility are magnesium and uh, melatonin. I recently purchased uh, some magnesium. I'm probably about two or three weeks into it and I haven't seen a difference whatsoever. I think I wasted my money. Um, so I can't, I can't say that taking magnesium and I bought the good stuff too, from what I read. I don't know. That's interesting. I magnesium just bought the cheapest tired. magnesium. For real. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so yeah, I don't think it's helped all that much and I haven't tried melatonin and people that I know that know me and know that I struggle with sleep um, say that I should do that. I have a couple of family members that have CPAP machines and they swear by them. So I don't know if I should just go on Facebook marketplace and get one off the black market hmm. or schedule hmm. myself for a sleep study like you have. Yeah. I've never noticed that, but you, uh, yeah, you do sound a little nasally now that I think about it. Maybe you do have like a, sept <laughs> a deviated septum. Yeah, maybe I do. Yeah, thing. Yeah. yeah, my wife has a CPAP machine because I don't know why she she I don't know why she just stops breathing sometimes when she sleeps and it scares the hell out of me. But um, yeah. she won't wear it because it, she feels like Darth Vader. Like there's hoses and oh. like all this stuff, and she's oh. just like. Well, if you want to send it this way, yeah, yeah, maybe. Yeah, you send it to Harlan. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, for those that don't know what we're referring to, I don't even know what it stands for. I guess you could Google it, but yeah. CPAP is a machine that basically just gives you. 
I'm not even going to say I pretend to know what I talk about. It has to do with the amount of oxygen that's being delivered to your body while you're sleeping. Yeah. I can't remember. It's, I don't know what it's called. Yeah. It's CPAP. I can't think of it. Continuous positive airway pressure. There it is. Continuous positive airway pressure is a form of positive airway pressure ventilation in which a constant level of pressure greater than atmospheric pressure is continuously applied to the upper respiratory tract of a person while they're sleeping. Wow. So there you go. It's a lot of pressure. <laughs> it sounds like a lot of pressure, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> but I think it helps uh, people who snore too. From what yeah, I absolutely. Yeah. yeah, I'm going off the rails on just saying stuff that's completely speculative. But yeah. So anyway, that is everything. That's not everything. That's the top ten things <laughs> that I learned about sleep, and I am actually. Uh, a little tired right now as we as we speak. So do the I sound top, it? The top second most. I like that one. That was oh, one of my man. favorites. <laughs> I've really been I've been burning the candle at both ends. We went to New York City this weekend. Had oh, a good time. It was really cool. Very nice. And uh, now I'm back in action. And as you, it's full on yard work season in Vermont. So mm. any spare moment I have, uh, I'm out in the yard getting it done. Yeah. With your what's what's the one you hate the most in the yard? I've heard you talk about the yard work, and if you could if you could offload it, you'd be all about that. <laughs> oh, I'm close. I set up my summer fitness program. Uh-huh. Um, people are rolling in with interest. I'm really excited about that. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So the money that I make from that is just going to go right ah, to uh, hiring people to work. Yeah. Perfect. So, uh, spring cleanup is so my driveway, and as with many driveways in Vermont, is not paved. It's gravel, and when the plows come through over and over again all uh, winter long, it pushes the gravel into the grass on either side. So you have to rake the gravel back onto um, the driveway. And any Vermonters out there who are laughing at me because I don't have a power broom, instead of laughing at me, you can lend me your power broom. Appreciate it. (laughs) I don't even know what a power broom is, but now I got to go check it out. Uh, All right, we'll let the people go because we're yes we're about, we're about to go on a crazy tangent. We could do that after we hit <laughs> stop yeah. recording. Absolutely, uh, end this thing. Well, listen, everybody, go get some sleep. Or at least go take a power nap. Oh, yeah. the research on the power nap is a twenty-minute nap is completely restorative. It's amazing if you're able to do it midday. I say mm. do it. Once you go deeper than twenty minutes, you kind of go to that next stage of sleep, and it's really harder to pull out of, and you you don't feel as energized when you come out of it. You feel a little a little sluggish. So keep it. I, I used to. I was married to the power nap in my lifeguarding days. I just get off the stand, crash out for 20 minutes, wake up 20 minutes later and felt like a million dollars. There you go. 20 minute power nap. Get after it. We really appreciate your ears. We thank you for your time and we're grateful for your attention. With that said, School and Struggle Podcast. We're getting sleepy. We are out. See ya. (laughs) 